Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 through to verse 22. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Romans chapter 8 and verse 22 again. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Never before in my lifetime has the truth of this verse been so clearly seen, so universally all around the world all at the same time. The coronavirus pandemic has swept its way across the whole world, affecting first Asia and then Europe and North America. Now South America has been declared the epicentre of the outbreak. And I won't be surprised if in time Africa becomes the worst hit. The whole world is feeling the pain. Or to use the dominant word in these verses in Romans 8, the creation is groaning. For sure, we feel this groaning in a particularly acute way at the moment, but it's nothing new. We felt the groans of creation many times before. I think of the Asian tsunami on Boxing Day 2004, when nearly 250,000 people lost their lives across 14 countries, making it one of the deadliest natural disasters in recorded history. We felt the groaning of creation then. And before then and since then, there have been volcanoes and famines and earthquakes and bushfires and floods and droughts and and locust swarms and, yes, other global pandemics. Down through the centuries, these natural disasters have killed millions of poor souls. Verse 22, the world has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The description here of childbirth is brilliantly instructive. First, because it is unbelievably painful. Let me tell you about my first ever visit to a labour ward. It was part of the antenatal course that Caroline, my wife, and I attended when Caroline was expecting our twins. During the antenatal course, we got to know other expectant parents. And as we all gathered at the entrance to the labour ward, we were all a bit excitable. It was all a big adventure. The midwife met us at the door took us inside and began the tour of the labour ward. And just moments after she started, we heard a blood-curdling scream from along the corridor. A woman was in labour. And that scream was a very big dose of reality. Instantly it hit us what all the wives and girlfriends were going to be going through. I'll spare you the details of what actually happened when Caroline gave birth to our twin girls and then to Joshua. Uh, But if you've ever experienced the birth of a child, believe me, the pain is off the scale. It is one of the greatest and most acute pains that any human being ever has to experience. Now here in verse 22, when natural disasters strike, the creation, the world groans like a woman in labor and we feel the pain. It is agony. 
And as a result of the coronavirus, 40,000 people have lost their lives already here in Britain, over 375,000 people around the world. Multiply that number many times over and we get the number of people heartbroken as they mourn the loss of mums and dads, brothers and sisters, grandparents and friends. Not to mention that the mental anguish of so many with the worry and fear of contracting the virus or losing livelihoods, the pain is immense and extreme. And that's one reason why the metaphor of childbirth is so accurately illustrative. But the second reason that childbirth is such an astute description is because childbirth is a pain that delivers something good eventually. The pain of creation's groaning is not the agony of a dying patient, but birth pangs. Just as new life eventually emerges through all the pain of childbirth, so God will produce something completely new at the end of creation's groaning. Let me read again verses 19 to 21. And as I do, take note of words like expectation and hope and liberation and freedom and glory to come. Here's verse 19. The creation waits in eager eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation groans not as a patient that is dying, but as a woman in childbirth. It is painful, incredibly painful. There's no getting away from the agony. But pain is not the end of the story. The creation is expecting, verse 21, to be liberated from its bondage to decay. And end of verse 21, to be freed into a glorious future. As creation groans, it is it's expecting a day when the pain will end and when there will be only wondrous glory. And that time will come when, verse 19, the children of God are revealed. And end of verse 21, when the children of God are themselves brought to glory. This is speaking about the final, full and forever redemption that we'll enjoy when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns in glory, Christians, the children of God, will be redeemed and glorified. And at the same time, so will the creation. This world will also be redeemed and glorified on that day. When Jesus returns, he will make a new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Heaven and earth will be reunited. Earth will be reconstituted so that everything wrong in the world will be made right. In eternity and for eternity, we will enjoy living in a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. All the beauty and majesty of this first creation but with none of the sadness and none of the badness. For eternity, we'll be able to enjoy all the best things about this marvellous creation. Listen to the author and preacher Julian Hardiman, as he is particularly brilliant at describing some of the wonders of the creation. Salty seas and green waves and foam like squirty cream, he says. And not just one kind of fruit tree, but pears and plums and peaches and pomegranates. And that's just a few that begin with P. And then he says, think of all the flowers too. Red poppies so delicate, they fall to pieces when you pick them. Daffodils like gold, sweet peas that can fill a garden with Chanel number five. It's great writing, isn't it? But more importantly, it's describing a great creation made by a great God. The God who made the seas teem with all kinds of living creatures, shoals of fish that glisten as they all turn in unison, orca whales that effortlessly effortlessly carve their way through the mighty ocean waves, 
And God made the birds of the air, the brightly coloured toucan with his enormous bill, the tiny hummingbird whose wings rotate at 80 times a second, and then all the animals from the majestic elephant to the odd-looking aardvark. It's all so wonderful. And I haven't even mentioned yet the, the great sights of the Grand Canyon or the Niagara Falls or Table Mountain or the beaches of Hawaii or New Zealand's Southern Alps. The wonder of this world's sights and sounds and experiences is what we have to look forward to for eternity in the new creation, a new creation that is perfect. But this new perfect creation will only come when the children of God are revealed and glorified. And it is very instructive that that's the language that these verses use. Verse 19 doesn't say that the creation waits in eager expectation for Jesus to return, but for the children of God to be revealed. And similarly, verse 21 doesn't say that the creation will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of Jesus' return, but brought into freedom of the children of God. And that is because the creation's bondage to decay is completely tied up with the fall of human beings. And so the creation's liberation is completely bound up with the glorification of human beings revealed as God's children. Look, the language used here in these verses is deliberately chosen to make us think of Genesis chapter 3. Do you uh, remember right at the beginning of the Bible uh, in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve rebelled against God? They wanted to be God. They, They didn't want to sit under God's rule. They wanted to make up the rules themselves. And the result of our rebellion was the curse. After cursing the snake, God said to Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Unbelievable pain in childbirth. That's not only what all women experience as a result of the fall, but as we've already seen, it's how the suffering caused by a disordered creation is described too. And then in the next verses in Genesis chapter 3, God said these words to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be exhausting to tend the field. Ask any gardener. The weeds and slugs make it very frustrating pastime to grow your own. The weeds make it hard, frustrating work. The slugs eat and kill your seedlings. And that is precisely the language of Romans chapter 8. Verse 20, frustration. Verse 21, decay. The point is this, the rebellion of human beings has not only separated us from God, but has resulted in the creation itself being subjected to frustration and death, verse 20. See how it goes, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by God, by the one who subjected it. So the preacher and author John Piper says this, God judicially sentenced the world to what it is today. It was a judgment on the world in response to sin. And just as a curse has come upon the creation because of the rebellion of humankind, so the curse will only be finally lifted when the sons of God have been revealed and redeemed. Our rebellion brought about this problem. Our redemption will solve it. 
And so the creation groans as it waits for children of God to be revealed and glorified. The only hope for this broken creation and for sinful human beings is Jesus and his redeeming work on the cross, transforming rebellious people into children of God. So three things as we think about this. First, when we see the pain of a suffering world, it tells us the extent of our sin. The creation is groaning because of our sin. The pains of creation are the result of humankind's rebellion against God. So again, listen to the words of John Piper. Every time you look at some horrific suffering, and there is suffering that is so horrific you faint when you see it, you should think, that's how serious sin is. When we see the disruption that COVID-19 has brought upon the world, the global death toll, the strained medical professionals, the financial ruin, the mental anguish, the broken dreams, the individual loss of life, the agony of broken-hearted mourners. When we see that, when we see harrowing pictures of health professionals battling to save a patient, and when it breaks our heart, it should shout at us, that's the result of human rebellion against God. The groaning and pain of creation is a very tangible expression of just how wicked our sin is. Now, please don't mishear me. I am definitely not saying that the individuals who have died and are dying because of their, uh, of all that's going on, it's not because of their particular sin, as if those of us who survive are, are more righteous. No, the creation's groaning and the pain that comes from it is a result of the collective rebellion of the human race. And it shows us just how terrible our rejection of God really is. Second, when we see the pain of a suffering world, it should make us long for the redemption of God's children. Verse 19 again, for the creation waits in erect expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This broken, decaying world will not be redeemed through environmental actions. And that's not to say we shouldn't look after our world. We were made stewards of this world. We should think of this world the way we think of our bodies. I was given this body. It's the only one I have. Not very impressive, but it's what I got. And the Bible tells me to look after it. I do well to eat properly and exercise often and take rest and not to trash this body. But no matter how well I take care of this body, it is going to wear out. As the years go on, we all end up with a furniture problem with our chests in our drawers. No matter what we, what we do, it all eventually goes south. So look after your body. But know that there's only one hope for your body, redemption. Jesus' return and him giving you a new body that will never wear out or break. The same is true of creation. The world, this world, is the only one we have, and the Bible tells us to look after it. But no matter how much recycling we do and no matter how many renewables we use, the creation is in bondage to decay, verse 21. And so, yes, look after the creation, but we mustn't pin all our hopes on environmental actions. And we mustn't put our greatest efforts into a green solution. The only hope we have for the creation is redemption in Christ. When we see the pain of a suffering world, it should make us long for the redemption of God's children and make us eager to tell other people about Jesus so that they too can be counted as God's children and look forward to glory. The third thing. When we see the pain of a suffering world, it tells us to hope for glory. 
At the end of verse 20, we read that the creation was subjected by God in hope, that is, in certain expectation of something greater to come, in the hope, verse 21, of eventual liberation. As Christians, it is so easy to find ourselves living for this world, pinning our hopes on all that this life can give us, and not least of all when we live in such a beautiful part of the world as we do here in Fullwood. And with the the glorious Peak District National Park on our doorstep, all the benefits of living in a vibrant city, and most of us in this area enjoying beautiful homes and, and lovely holidays and great leisure experiences in our free time, and with plenty of food to eat and clothes to wear, and living in a nation where we enjoy peace, it is so easy to make this our everything. Earlier this week, the sun was shining. I was playing tennis with friends on the grass courts of Fullwood Tennis Club. And then I enjoyed a leisurely meal with my family in our garden. It's easy for all this to be all that I want to live for. And especially when everything's going well. It's a struggle to keep remembering that this is not heaven. But of course, to think like that is just an illusion because no matter who we are or how much we have, life doesn't go well all the time and life doesn't go on forever. So living for this world is a fool's paradise. And that's why when a a pandemic brings to a shuddering halt so much of what we enjoy and live for, when we feel the pain of the creation groaning, we should be jolted into a reorientation about what life is all about for us. When we see and experience the pain of a suffering world, it should help us to shift our hope to something greater, not to live for this world, but to live for what is to come, for glory. There is no satisfaction in what we're experiencing right now because it is so utterly painful yet the pain of a groaning world should make us reorientate our goals and desires towards glory verse 19 the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of god to be revealed we should too let me ask you what are you waiting for most eagerly right now an effective vaccine to be discovered full freedom from lockdown, a return to normal, being able to visit family again, hugging loved ones again, being able to enjoy holidays again, being able to start normal life again. Well, of course you want those things. But what we should prize above all of that, most of all, what this time should do for us most of all is to make us most eagerly wait for the children of God to be revealed, for the glory that will be revealed in us. When that's our greatest hope, Then we have a mindset that brings a huge change to how we cope through this most trying time. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is not to say that suffering is nothing. It is very painful. It is agony. It's like being in labor. Suffering is terrible. But just as the pain of childbirth is forgotten when the baby is put in the arms of its mother, so, verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. When we are brought to glory, when we are glorified, then whatever we're going through now, we'll look back and think it was all worth it. I don't say that glibly. These are terrible days for many. But when we're in glory, life will be so wonderful that whatever we suffer now in this life will seem like nothing in comparison. So as creation groans and as we feel the pain of it, it should make us wait in eager expectation for that day to come. Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you very much that even though this present suffering is so extraordinarily painful, even though we live in a world and in a creation that groans, we thank you that we have hope. We have something greater to look forward to. We thank you for the prospect of glory, of being in glory with you, of us being glorified as well. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that through this most trying time, you would help us to reorientate our minds and our thinking, that we may have our focus on that final uh, and full and wonderful time when we'll be spending it all with you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.